Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Um, just got to get one thing out of the way. A sweat spot on my jeans. Okay. Uh, we had a baptism in the first service. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> so we're all on the same page here. I don't want you wondering anything. Um, well, it's, it is a real honor for me to be here, to be able to, to speak and to preach. And uh, in the first service, um, I got to be part of something. I love baptism. I love it. I just love the, the picture of it. I love that I got to be a, a part of baptizing uh, a young lady that um, came to our youth center for, uh, since she was 11. She's 20 now and makes me feel old, but uh, I'm so, I was just so uh, thankful to be um, a part of that. And, uh, you know, it was really special for my wife and I and all the staff at, at Father's Love, our youth center, um, to, to just see that and to be here for that. Uh, and so, anyway, um, we're going to be in uh, Luke 17 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I think we have some on that back shelf back there. You're welcome to get one and read along with us. And, you know, it's important that we read God's Word. Um, that's an understatement. Um, but it's also important that we hear God's Word. In fact, uh, when we read God's Word, it says that it is the hearing of God's Word that produces faith in us. And so that's why we gather together and uh, we, we preach God's Word because it's really important for us as a body uh, to hear God's Word preached. So we're going to read Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, and uh, let's listen along as we read. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, in one sense, this passage is just really clear. It's a, there's a reason that we chose this passage for this day, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we see the contrast of, of those who uh, went away and did not give thanks and that one that turned back to give thanks. And so it's really obvious why we chose this passage. But of course, um, you know, just a simple reading of Scripture, if we don't dive into it and truly believe that every word of God, not just a passage, but every word of God is important for us. And so that's why we're going to unpack it. And it begins with, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that little phrase kind of sets the scene. Um, he's uh, on his way to Jerusalem, but if you go back to Luke chapter 9, uh, at the end of chapter 9, there's this uh, verse that says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Well, since Luke 9 and, and where we are today in Luke 17, Jesus actually went to Jerusalem three times, Okay and twice for feasts uh, to celebrate with uh, his, the Jewish people. And also once he was in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, so we're going to call it Jerusalem. Uh, and there he did something pretty miraculous. He raised a dead man back to life. A pretty crazy miracle, right? And so there's a, when we read that account of him raising Lazarus from the dead, um, 
you know, Jesus was a hated man at this point. They wanted to kill him. The Jewish leaders and the priests, they wanted to kill him. And it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen. He was going to finish the work by dying on the cross. He was going to be murdered. The most loving, compassionate, gracious, kind, sinless man who's ever walked the face of the earth was going to be murdered on a, on a cross. And it was all because of God's purpose. His plan to bring salvation to his people. <clears throat> now, uh, that was the climax of his life and his ministry was going to happen at Jerusalem. But at, at this point, in this story of the ten lepers who were cleansed or healed, um, you see that Jesus raised Lazarus. And then it says, instead of him going back into Jerusalem, he turned north and he went to a town called Ephraim. Okay, we read this in, in, in uh, the Gospel of John. And so now Ephraim is not in between Galilee and Samaria. In fact, if you looked at a map, some of our Bibles at the, at the, at the, uh, the end of the Bible, the back of the Bible has some, some maps of Jesus' ministry and where he was. You'll see that Galilee is, is kind of in the north. And then there's Samaria. And those, those are like, area, like regions or states, if you will. And then there's Jerusalem, the city um, in Judea down in the south. Now, a Jew, some of you probably know this, but a Jew, the Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other, right? I mean, they just could not stand to be one another, around one another. And they hated each other so, so badly that if a Jew was in Jerusalem and he wanted to go to Galilee, they actually would take this 20-extra-mile trip outside around Samaria, all right, just to avoid these people so that they could get to the north. And so it was along this route that this town of Ephraim was. And so Jesus turned north after he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so we're not totally sure where this healing of the ten lepers takes place. But it's somewhere, maybe along this route, that took Jews around Samaria into Galilee. Okay? So I'm just kind of set the stage for you. Um, so <clears throat> here you have this, this amazing miracle. Ten lepers. Now, my, my kids were in the first service, and I see a few young faces here today, and I just want to make sure that you're hearing me right. We're not speaking about wildcats in Africa, okay? Not leopards, lepers, okay? People who have a, uh, a disease, okay? And so there's this just amazing miracle that takes place where ten, all at the same time, were healed, I mean, just, just crazy. And so the, in this unique story, it's really obvious why we chose it for the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We see the contrast of the nine who didn't return to give thanks, but the one who came and gushed with Thanksgiving. Um, now, before we keep reading, uh, we need to kind of set the stage because it says that when he entered the village... Um, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now, I want to set the stage in this way. Okay, so because the Bible was written thousands of years ago, it was written in a different part of the world, different culture, different time. It's really disconnected from our modern Western world minds today. Okay? And so um, we need to kind of, how do we get into the shoes of these people? How do we understand what's going on to really feel the weight of what this passage is all about? That's how I want to do it. Probably the most feared word in our world today is the word cancer. Um, all of us in here, we've probably, statistically speaking, you've probably either had it or you, you're pretty close to somebody that's had it. 
statistically speaking. And so just that word can produce fear in us. Um, I've been close to several different people, some relatives and some friends and some coworkers that, um, that had to have a biopsy done. And then they've had to wait seemingly endless days waiting for the, the diagnosis, to hear the word benign or malignant. Those days just went on and on and the, the anxiety that they felt and the fear that grew in them. It was just, that word just alone can, it can paralyze us. And so I think in that way, we can relate to these ancient people who maybe one day woke up with a rash on their skin. And they weren't sure what it was. And then the next day they woke up and maybe it was a little bigger. And maybe it had changed color. And, you know, leprosy was such a devastating thing in, in ancient times. Um, God actually wrote in, in the book of Leviticus, there's two chapters, pretty long chapters, in a pretty meticulous book of laws that, that deal all, completely with leprosy. Um, it was a devastating, devastating diagnosis. In fact, if you go back to, old, to the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, God speaks to the leaders of Israel and He says, command the people of Israel to put out of the camp every leper. Out of the camp. Very clear, very strong. They were not to be a part of this society. Now this wasn't a command that came from hatred, but of uh, protection of God's people. But man, could you imagine being the one who woke up that day and having that rash on your body? And all that that meant. They became the very definition of outcasts. These people were not permitted to go within six feet. Six feet, think about that of a healthy person. And even worse, if it was a windy day, if the wind was blowing from their direction, they weren't allowed to be within 150 feet. And they had to walk around, and if, if a healthy person uh, was near them, they had to uh, cover their mouth, almost kind of like how we say, you know, you cover your mouth if you cough or something. Uh, they had to cover their mouth, and they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. They had to identify themselves and say, stand back. In fact, one rabbi's writings even suggested that people carry stones with them to throw at lepers who, to, to remind them to keep their distance. And so you, you just imagine this life that these people had to live feeling as if God Himself had forsaken them feeling cursed by God. And we know that that, that doesn't, wasn't necessarily the case. There were instances actually in the Old Testament of God cursing somebody with leprosy. We think of Miriam, Moses' uh, sister. And uh, the, the name is escaping me right now, but in the book of Numbers, is it um, Naaman? Uh, cursed by God. But that, was, that doesn't mean that everybody that had this disease, was, that it was a curse from God himself. But I mean, just, just that stigma of, of feeling that everybody was rejecting you. And not only that, but the, the, the effects in your own body, 
You see, leprosy was not just a death sentence uh, relationally, but it was a death sentence in their own body because leprosy um, would eventually, there would be sores on their body, open sores, and and they would uh, lose. uh, In fact, leprosy is actually a a bacteria that targets and attacks the, the nerve endings in a person's body. And so in their limbs, their hands, their fingers, toes, their eyelids, their nose, uh, the, the, the kind of the extremities of their body, and it would attack those things and they, they would not be able to feel anymore. And so um, for the longest time, for, for probably centuries, it was thought that leprosy was a, uh, a flesh-eating disease. And if you think about it, um, it makes sense because, it, you know, the, the person would lose limbs. Um, they would, you know, literally, fingers would fall off and, and feet would, would fall off and, and they would lose uh, all kinds of use of their body. And it was just devastating. And, uh, you know, because it was thought it was a flesh-eating disease, later on it was found out that's not the case. Um, leprosy is a painless disease, right? And you think, well you're going to get a disease, get one that's painless, right? But it was really that reason that it was so devastating because as a person in ancient times would walk, you know, no, no uh, cars, no modern transportation, they would walk everywhere and, and wearing sandals if, if a, a stone or a little pebble gets in their sandal. I mean, imagine if, if one gets in your shoe, you, you're not taking another step, right? You're taking your shoe off, get that stone out of there because it hurts. Well, imagine not being able to feel that pain. And you walk mile after mile, day after day, and open wounds would be on the bottom of their feet and they wouldn't even know it. They wouldn't feel anything. And imagine, um, you know, they would lose the, the, uh, the ability to blink. Okay, it seems such like a small thing, right? But blinking cleanses your eye. And so if you're not able to blink and you can't feel pain, what happens when dust would get in your eye? You wouldn't feel it. You, you wouldn't know that there's something in your eye, and you wouldn't be able to blink, and so many lepers uh, not only would lose limbs and, and fingers and toes, but uh, they would become blind. Absolutely devastating. This was a death sentence for so many. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand, he was a modern, a world-renowned expert on leprosy. He's a brother in Christ. He passed away in 2003. Uh, but he was the, the expert on what the modern-day uh, leprosy is. Uh, they call it Hansen's disease. And, um, and so this is what he has to say about the disease. The skin loses its original color, and it becomes thick and glossy and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood, blood supply. Fingers would drop off or are absorbed. You didn't know you were getting a health lesson today, did you? Yeah, I hope you have a good stomach because lunch is coming soon. And Anyway, uh, but toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. And by the touch of the finger, one can feel it. One can even smell it. For a leper emits a very unpleasant odor because of the infected open sores. Moreover, in view of the fact that the bacteria frequently attacks the larynx, the leper's voice becomes raspy and weak. And it's with this raspy, weak voice that these ten lepers, standing at a distance because they had to be at a distance, 
cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And these men, no doubt, living in a leper colony on the edge of some unnamed village, felt truly that God had forsaken them. But for about three years, Jesus would travel town to town, village to village. And it says over and over again in the Gospels that he preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed the sick everywhere he went. We have, we have no numbers about how many Jesus actually healed. Everywhere he went, he just healed and healed and healed and healed. That's what he did. It was as if all Israel heard about the miraculous powers that Jesus had. And the news was so amazing that I bet even those living in this leper colony had heard. And you wonder, you just wonder the hope that began to well up in these hopeless men as they lived this miserable life when they heard Jesus was coming their way. And they lift up their raspy, weakened voice and they cry out to Jesus, Master! And you know, it's awesome that they use that word. They could have used any word to address Jesus. They really could have. But they use this specific word. Now this word, I didn't know this, you know, this is, this is what you get for, for studying your Bible. Um, but you look this word master up and only Luke uses this word for master. It's only in the Gospel of Luke, and it's used once in the, in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. It's always used to address Jesus. And it's only ever used by the disciples, except here. This is the only place that this Greek word is used for Jesus by somebody other than those closest to him. And they cry out, knowing there must have been something, some kind of faith that had welled up with that hope when Jesus was coming their way, that maybe, maybe Jesus could do something about this. Maybe Jesus could reach into our miserable lives and change us. This word means somebody with extreme authority, not just a respectful, formal term. And Jesus turns to them and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now earlier in Luke, I think it was chapter 7, another leper comes to Jesus and Jesus goes to that leper and touches that leper. Totally unheard of in this day. Completely out of the norm. I mean, these people were, were outcasts. Nobody went near them. And here you have Jesus because he's full of compassion. He goes to this leper and he touches them and he says, be healed. And instantly this man received healing in his body. But he didn't do that with these ten. They stood at a distance and all he said was, go. Show yourselves to the priests. Now, the reason he did that, I think it's important that we, we make note of this, that when he said that, he was telling them to follow the law. If you go back, Leviticus 13 and 14, those two long chapters, all dealing all about with, with uh, leprosy and diagnosing it and treating it, right? If you go to that and read, we don't have to go through it right now because nobody really wants to read through Leviticus, do we? 
We should, okay, but it's hard sometimes, just going to be honest. All right, so, but what if you were to read that, it says that if somebody had something, a skin rash, that they had to observe it, and then they had to present themselves to the priest, and the priest was kind of like the local uh, like health inspector or something, and, and so they were required to you know, apply the law. And so the law says that if, if it's this and it's this and it's that, and if it looks this way and it has this certain color, then we are to quarantine them. They are to be set aside out of the camp somewhere for observation. Now that's akin to somebody saying, hey, we need to have a biopsy. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for the results of this biopsy because you don't know and you're worried and you're scared. And so they had to go and present themselves. Now the same, the opposite was true. If somebody who had a form of leprosy or some kind of rash on their body and they didn't quite know what to do with it, in order for them to be reacclimated back into, their, into society, into their village with their family, well, they had to go and show themselves to the priest. And the priest was to apply the law and go through that process. And here Jesus, who did not come to get rid of the law, but came to fulfill the law, says to these lepers... Go and show yourselves to the priests. And I think, as a side note, that it is probably in the humor of God. Who wanted to kill Jesus, by the way? The leaders, the priests. Jesus is sending ten people who were miraculously healed to a priest who probably wanted to kill Jesus. And this priest had to give witness to what Jesus has just done. I mean, everything he does is amazing to me. And so he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And then we have the understatement of the year. And Luke writes, and as they went, they were healed. (laughs) What? Wait a second. No trumpets from heaven? No angel? No, be healed, right? As they went, they were healed. And so you see these ten lepers had to have that faith. There had to be something in them that said, okay, yeah, let's do this. And they had to leave Jesus. They had to turn away from Jesus in order to obey what He said. And that's when their healing came. I think that happens a lot with us, doesn't it? We need to obey in faith. And then something happens in our lives. And Jesus, I mean, the the lepers turned from Jesus. And as they went... Could you just imagine, you're with these miserable people, and we don't know the state that they were in. We don't know, were they blind? Did they lose their limbs? We don't know what kind of sores were all over their body. Could they even walk? But as they were going, they were healed. And you wonder, did they receive their sight? Did limbs grow back on their body? What exactly are we talking about? I don't know. Luke, please, would you just say something? (laughs) As they went, they were healed. It's amazing. Now, uh, I've heard the the contrast um, before, you know, with, and it's, it's clear and it's true that. The nine that left, they were, they were, you know, restored. I mean, just the excitement. Could you, could you imagine? 
walking back to the priest, knowing not just that your body is restored, but you're going to get to be with your family again. Your whole life is going to come back the way it was supposed to be. Man. And you know, you see the contrast here. You see that, that all ten went, all ten were healed, but the one turned. You see that contrast? It's Thanksgiving coming up. Give thanks for what God has done. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a, uh, someone preach a message on this passage before. I've heard, I remember uh, in my church back home, uh, this message, and, and uh, I respectfully disagree with my, with my pastor and, uh, and some of the commentaries I read even. It would be absolutely impossible for those nine to not be thankful totally impossible I mean we read it and we're just like it's just a couple verses oh they're lepers and they're healed cool oh they were unthankful you don't we have to feel this they lost everything their bodies their families their livelihoods everything was lost they felt rejected by God and now it was all given back to them <laughs> of course they were thankful there's, it would be impossible for them not, to not be thankful. But one gave thanks. You see what I'm saying? One gave thanks. See, it's called thanksgiving because it costs you something because you have to give it. You see, thanks is not a warm and fuzzy. It's more than that. It's giving something. It costs us something. It needs to be felt and expressed to the person who gives. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. Now, when I was, I, I remember reading these verses uh, in Psalm 100, verse 4. I remember reading or hearing these verses when I was, man, I probably was like four or five years old. I just remember going to church and my dad talking about it or singing the song that, that, um, that, that this song uh, comes from. And it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, when it says entering his gates or entering the courts, we're talking about the temple, the Old Testament temple. Okay? And so what was the temple? It was a place of worship. And over and over and over again, when you read about worship in the Old Testament, we always see sacrifice. It costs somebody something to worship. You know, when you begin your life with Christ, it doesn't, it's not free. The gift of grace is free. But your life is now surrendered. You no longer are in control. It costs you your life to follow Christ. Don't let anyone make you think otherwise. There is a heavy cost. And what did it cost this man, this one, this Samaritan who turned back to give thanks? Now, again, the ten that were healed, could they have gotten to the priest quick enough? I mean, could they have, I would have been running if I lost a leg, I would be scooting as fast as possible to get back to that priest so that I could have my life back. I could not get there fast enough. And think about it. I'm running with nine other guys and we're headed towards the priest and our bodies are healed and we, we know what's coming. Our lives are going to be restored. And then all of a sudden we look back and there's a guy going the other way. 
What's he doing? And can you blame the nine for running towards the priests? You can't blame them. That's what I would be doing. And they look back and they see this one. And I'm like, whatever, man. I'm going. And so that guy, there was something about him. What is he doing? Well, he comes at Jesus' feet. He falls on his face, it says, to give thanks. He delayed the restoration of his life to give thanks. He delayed the restoration of his life just to say thank you to Jesus. That's what it cost him. And that's big. That's really big. Now, we've seen this story, this, this passage. I tried to set it up so that you see in Luke 9, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to give his life. He was determined to go. It said he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we've seen this passage kind of separate from the immediate context. And, and let's not be coffee mug Christians, okay? Let's not just take one verse or a little uh, story and slap it on a coffee mug and drink with a smile and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Listen, I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not a heretic, let me explain, okay? The Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm never going to play in the NBA. I'm not going to be six foot nine. Man, I really wanted to when I was younger. I practiced hours and hours. It's not going to happen. I can't do that through Christ. Okay? I know it sounds heretical. It sounds, what are you talking about? But what I can do is I can be content whether I have a little or a lot. I can be content in Christ, and that's what I can do. That's the all things that I can do through Christ. So we can't just look at this Luke 17, 11 through 19 and just say, here, this is what it means. Slap it on a coffee mug or put it on a T-shirt. I'm sorry. Some of you are wearing Christian T-shirts. I'm not against verses. We love verses. Put them everywhere, okay? But we don't just look at one verse. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to go back to the, the, the passage right before this. In verses 7 through 10. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm off my soapbox. All right. <laughs> All right. Verse 7 through 10. This is Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And the answer is no. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, Jesus is not teaching in this passage that we should not say thank you to people who are just doing their job. Okay? He's not encouraging you to be rude to the cashier at Walmart when you're buying your stuff. They, they, they ring it up. They take your money. He's not saying don't say thank you. That's their job. You know, we don't thank people for doing it. That's not what he's saying. Okay? That's not it. The point is in verse 10. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, how does this passage give light to the passage of the ten lepers or the one who returned to give thanks? 
Here it is. God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. He is God. We are one of billions and billions of people who have ever walked the face of the earth. Who has ever given to God that it should be repaid him? No one. And what do you think this unworthy servant, this Samaritan's duty was? It was to turn back and to fall on his face at the feet of Jesus, praising God with a now restored voice, thanking him. That's what his duty was. It was right for him to do that. He should have done that. That's what he should have done. Because God didn't owe him a thing. We owe God everything. Everything we owe it to God. The very breath you breathe is a gift from God that you don't deserve. But God gives it to us graciously. And to some, like we experienced in the first service, he gives way more than we could possibly ever imagine. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, uh, then, Je- then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This unworthy Samaritan received way more. Way more. When he returned back to Jesus, he received way more than healing in his body. When Jesus said, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well, he was saying way more than we could possibly imagine. I want to just highlight a few words in this passage in Luke in uh, 17 verse 14 Luke writes that the lepers were cleansed. In Luke, I'm sorry, in, in verse 15 Luke writes uh, that the Samaritan was healed. And then in verse 17 Jesus uses that word cleansed again. So two words, three words, two words, two uh, cleansed twice and healed once. Now these three words um, are used over and over again to describe someone who is healed physically in their body, like these ten lepers were healed, but also that uh, for someone to be made clean again from an unclean state. So in the, the Jew- Jewish traditions and their rituals, if somebody came across a dead body or they touched a dead body, I mean, there's a, a million different things, that they be, would become unclean and they needed to go through a process to be made clean again. And so these, these words that were used in this first part of this passage talk about physical healing and to be made clean, uh, rich or ceremonially, ceremonially clean again. Okay? But then in verse 19, he speaks to the Samaritan again and he says, Your faith has made you well. He doesn't say healed. He doesn't say cleansed, and that's huge. When Jesus said the word for, when he said the word well, that word well is the same word used over and over and over in the New Testament 
to refer to somebody who's been saved from their sin. <laughs> this leper had no idea what was coming his way. It was amazing that he would receive healing, physical healing, and relational healing in his life, but he didn't know anything about what was coming next. This one that came to him to give thanks for all that Jesus had done, received eternal life. Man. And that can't even be compared. You know, I know that there are people in here that are struggling in their bodies, suffering. We all are, in a sense. But some more so than others. And you know, it would be great if Jesus would just just speak the word and, and their bodies would be healed and you would receive that, that healing touch in your body. But Jesus knows what you need. He knows what you need. We think we know what we need, but really we're experts on our wants. Jesus knows what you need. He knows that we need something far greater than physical healing. We need to be forgiven of our sin. We need to be restored to a relationship with God, our Father. That's what we need. You know, this is such a picture of our world today. It really is. You know, we all want the blessings, don't we? We all want God to be good to us. We all want those blessings that we can touch and taste and see. But do we really want to fall at the feet of Jesus? Pouring out our thanks and receiving something far greater? Do we really want that? Do we really want to humbly submit our lives to Him, to the One who can transform our eternity, not just our earthly life? Not many in our world want that. Man, we want those blessings, don't we? Man, we want those blessings. But we, don't want to, we don't want to bow down to Jesus. It's because we're blind. The Bible says that whatever you obey is your master. And so if there is something wrong with your relationship with Christ, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not, humbly submitting your life to Christ, making Him the Lord of your life, the leader in charge of you, is the answer. That's the answer. That's what it takes. And you receive something far more than you could ever possibly earn or deserve when you receive salvation. And so it's Thanksgiving. And this man gave thanks. But man, you can't outgive God because when we turn to God and we bow down to Him for what He's already done in our lives, man, He can give you so much more. This man received it, and I wonder if there's any in here today. Maybe, maybe you're really thankful for a roof over your head. Or maybe you're thankful for family. Maybe you're thankful for those physical blessings in your life. But I wonder, I wonder if you see that Jesus is not just a blessing dispenser, but that He's God and wants to be Lord of your life. Let's pray.